Yo, what up, Couch Fam? My name is Matthew Craig, and we are down here at the Throwback Lounge for the State of the Culture panel discussion. Have a bit of chat about the scene, Melbourne, Australian hip-hop, and what's going on. I got some heavy hitters in the room right now. If you're watching on YouTube, please like, comment, subscribe, and share this stuff, because we are always bringing you the biggest and best discussions from Australia and around the world. If you are listening on podcast format, please rate, review, give us five stars, because my guests here today all deserve that. I'd like to start off the night by welcoming you all here. I want to pay respects and acknowledgement to the traditional owners of the land that we're meeting on now. We're, on, we're in Nam, we're on the land of Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to pay my respects to the traditional custodians of this land, to elders past, present, emerging, and note that sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. On that note, I want to state that all of us coming from different diaspora backgrounds here contributing to the hip-hop discussion, if we ain't fighting for sovereignty for First Nations people here, we don't know what the hell we're doing. So let's make sure that our struggle always comes back to those of the First Nations people on this land. Second to that, I would like to state that we're guests in hip-hop culture here in Australia. We're grateful to be part of the global conversation and I pay my respects to everyone in the United States of America who started founding this culture and this genre and the ongoing struggle for black Americans over there. I want to state unequivocally that Black Lives Matter and Australia just, Australia's Hip-Hop Connect AU Dollars supports the struggle of minorities all around the world. On that note, here we are here. I'm absolutely privileged to have some people in the building that I consider not only friends but important playmakers in hip-hop in Melbourne. I'm going to start, it's 2022, the culture's moved 20, pretty far. I want to start with you, Jared, just down the end. You're someone who's been around this culture for a minute, founding Off The Clef, now a manager at Teamwork Records, the marketing manager. As someone who's been around this culture for a minute and seen it grow and develop, what's most exciting for you, bro, at the moment? Uh, I'd say the most exciting thing is probably that it's starting to come into its own. I think for a long time, uh, and there's still elements of it, it's like uh, wave riding, like a lot of what's hot, and artists do that, but now I feel like we're starting to see a bit of an ecosystem with uh, genres and people's styles, um, and people are able to make what music they want and be successful. So I think that wasn't really the case uh, even like three years ago. Um, there's still a ways to go, but yeah, that's probably what's most exciting. Anything standing out for you at the moment? Uh, to be honest, like it's a bit biased, but in Melbourne, I feel like. Um, that's where the, the different genres and different styles are mostly coming from, you know? People are rap rapping or people are doing sort of idiosyncratic things and um, I guess starting their own sound and I feel like Melbourne's starting to get its own sound. Mm, for sure. Crystal Cartier, I'm, I'm gonna throw to you. Anyone who doesn't know Crystal Cartier, one of the premier tastemakers in this city, you can catch it every week in a million different nightclubs. How's the scene been post-COVID? Like, as we've said, the, a lot of recording artists now, Melbourne's really buzzing in terms of releases. How, how's the vibe in the clubs? Um, the clubs have been going, sorry, yeah, the clubs have been going off. Um, I think the lockdown kind of changed the dynamic of music and stuff like that, especially with TikTok. Um, I feel like maybe attention spans aren't really as long as they were before, but there's a lot of hype and there's a lot of um, support for local artists. You know, you don't have to be um, on, you know, Billboard to be, yeah. you know, kind of recognized anymore. It's more so you just have to have a good banger that goes off. Yeah, for sure. How are you noticing the response in the clubs to Australian music itself? Because like traditionally, like five, six years ago, you go to a club, all you're hearing is US music. Now you're starting to hear Australian artists be weaved into that sort of stuff. How do you find the response has been to that? Um, it's exciting. I think it um, kind of comes down to representation and people seeing people that they identify with. Um, when I was a kid, like an Aussie rapper was like Pez or Curse or 360, you know what I mean? And now Aussie rapper is like Babyface Mal or Sirachi or Molalo, like it's changing and it's, people are proud of that. 
and that's kind of like what, where the support's coming from. People want to put on for their own people. Yeah, that's cool. Soji Gang, I'm, I'm going to throw to you. As someone also has been around the scene for a minute, seen a lot of growth and development. What do you feel about the new face of Australian hip hop? How's it look for you? I would say the new face of hip hop looks like all of us. Yeah. Like Crystal just said, it has always been mainstream, uh, a white male mm -hmm. doing stuff, but we have had this amazing thing happen where, you know, it's this accumulation of this genre bending kind of time where hip hop isn't just this very set idea of what Aussie hip hop sound has to be. It's people crossing stuff over. Like we got Quasi here. Quasi did, um, he, did a, Quasi. he did a set a couple of years ago um, where he had a launch for, was it your album or your EP? Album or EP, a couple years ago. It was one where you had like all the metal, the metal bands and that. It was, yeah, single launch. Mixed it in with like heavy metal, had Hugh on the electric guitar. Absolutely amazing. It's one of my favorite launches that I've been to. But we have so many people doing so many different things. And on top of that as well, it's that idea that we come from so many different backgrounds and different environments that now people are putting those pieces of themselves, whether that's your race, religion, um, you know, the, the places that you grew up in, all those kind of flavors are being thrown into this giant hot pot that is music mixed around and we're getting all these completely different flavors. So, you know, we're getting women of colour, people of colour, people yeah. from completely different backgrounds. We're having queer mob as well coming forward too and starting to put out that music. Yeah. So that's what it, it looks like all of us. Yeah, that's really cool. Matt, I want to throw to you, someone who's relatively new to the scene, a writer from AU Dollars. It's been in the country only for a little over 12 months, come from New Zealand. From someone who was on the outside looking in and is now insular involved in this community, what, what are your thoughts on the first 12 months of your touching base with Australian hip hop? Now there's been like a lot to learn because in New Zealand, like, the Australian scene is, like, obsolete. Like, it doesn't really exist except for maybe, you know, like, the one fours of the HP boys of the world. So, to me, it was all new. And, like, I honestly didn't know how much talent, like, there was here, to be honest. Like, I was really pleasantly surprised. And I thought that it wouldn't be that good. When I was with $80, like, starting out, I was like, you guys were really pushing me to get into Australian music. And I was a bit hesitant, a bit hesitant. But the more I dug in, the more, like the more artists are actually in my personal playlist which is like really good and yeah especially the R&B scene for me I think that's like the top tier genre in the country and like it's dope to find just constantly new artists that I've never heard of even on the lowest of the low or even the big artists they're all new to me so yeah yeah who are some of those favorite artists that you've sort of discovered you mentioned there the, the Australian R&B scene and I know working with you closely that you get real hype about that who are some of those names man you know Mason Dane Babyface man all those guys, like, I was, I was send them all back to my friends in New Zealand, like, you gotta check out this guy, you gotta check out this female, this singer, this vocalist, because, and I told heaps of my friends in New Zealand that the female R&B scene is for sure the best in Australia, and the amount of artists I send back is, I feel yeah. that. Yeah, I feel, I, I see it. When, when we're in the studio, you're always blasting some CD or some Pania or something like that. So, Jim, I'm going to throw it back to you. As um, hosting Pang, congratulations, a, a really cool show that you and Dejok are hosting. Yeah, what are some of those favourite artists that you're discovering in the moment that you're spinning every week? Favourite art? It's a bit hard because um, I think the premise of Pang originally was just going to be sort of um, music from the diaspora. Yep. 
dance hall and that, but because, especially me, I love hip hop and R&B in all its forms. Yeah. You know, I listen to Korean rap. I've been looking at like Pakistani, looking what's happening in South America, trying to touch on, on all those different things. We've kind of turned Peng into everything that doesn't fit into the mainstream. Yeah. So it's a bit hard because every single show we kind of, me and Dijok go off and find our own music and throw it all together. And I think, I can't really pick anybody, but we've been really trying to... Alongside this, use both? Use both? Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, we're going to use both. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's not going to be any feedback issues. No. Cool. Well, I'm going to pass this one and we'll record into this one as well. All right. So I'm doing this. Yeah? See, so... Who? No, um, so the original premise of Peng was just going to be about music from the diaspora, where it was like dance hall, um, you know, Afrobeats, all that sort of stuff. Can you get, is that getting any feedback? Or is it, all right. Okay. Um, but because, especially me, listen to so much different stuff of hip hop and R&B and everything else from all over the world. Um, like I just mentioned before, listening to like Korean rap, Pakistani rap, looking at R&B and soul and hip hop in all its forms, Peng's kind of turned into, I guess, the less mainstream. So we kind of just pick apart everything. I really could not at all pick a very specific artist or anything that I'm playing. But we have been focusing a lot on trying to push forward anybody that comes forward with new music because we want to push that local sound because, you know, um, I think the mainstream with radio and hip-hop that it has to fit this very specific criteria of what that sound has to be. And what we, both Dijok and I, really love is that, you know, there is so much choice and there's so many different sounds that are out there that we want to we wanna hear it all. And that's what Peng is, was supposed to be. It's about discovering and falling in love with new things but also hearing the stuff that you already love and know. So, I, yeah, I don't, have a, I don't have a pick. How about... Yeah, we've we got to do the whole two-mic thing. Um, Jared, how about you, man? As I said, someone who's been around for a long time in this scene, who are some of the, the names that are emerging over the last 12, 18 months that are really exciting you and bringing a unique flavour to the scene? Um, there's a lot. It's hard to, to pin down a couple. <clears throat> in the last 12 months, I'd say, uh, like, Flyboy Jack, uh, one of those Melbourne acts that I talked about where they're doing something different and something that's uniquely them and it's working. Um, so they're probably one. Um... You know, someone before mentioned Pania, like her new single, which came out this week, I think it was, today, um, again, is just, like, amazing and, and groundbreaking. Um, and I think her trajectory is pretty obvious as well. Um, so, yeah, they're probably two in the last sort of six months or 12 months that, that I, yeah, I'm liking. I want to talk a bit about genre because we've just said there's a lot of different sounds, a lot of different faces, a lot of different backgrounds being made. How do we feel about the sort of genre fit of what Australian hip hop is going on at the moment? Obviously, it's pretty drill dominated. Uh, you look through any of the playlists or any of the opportunities that the press are covering and it's probably 80% drill that's going on here and other genres being pushed and marginalised to an extent. However, I'm not sure that's what's being reflected in the clubs or necessarily being reflected on, on radio and stuff like that. What, what are your thoughts on that, Soju, in terms of the, the diversification sonically of what's going on? Um... What I, what I personally see, you know, as a DJ and somebody who goes out and goes to everything, 
I don't think it, to me anyway, this is obviously just my point of view, but I don't think it's necessarily genre-based. Like, yes, drill has become a big thing, same with Afrobeats, but I think that the reason that they've become so big is because of what they represent, you know, Afrobeats being one of the biggest genres right now. We have such a huge African community here in Australia, especially in Melbourne, and, you know, that is representing a part of our community and, you know, seeing that mainstream being celebrated and loved is really important. And same with drill music. You know, drill um, represents people who, you know, might come up hard, grew up in commissioned houses, grew up pretty rough, had to, you know, make ends meet, work hard for themselves. And I know a lot of, you know, um, Polynesian, Micronesian, Aboriginal black kids really resonate that because, you know, I don't think it's necessarily the sound, even though it's great, but it's it's what these people represent, it's who they are and what that sound is. And that's, you know, people being able to see themselves and almost hear themselves in the music that's around them. Mm. Does, that yeah. make, does that make sense? That's a great answer. That's a yeah. great answer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a bit of a round of applause for that. That's a great answer. And Matt, I'm going to throw to you on, the, on that same question. As someone who said his sort of first accent point was, you know, 1-4 or HP boys or something looking in, what's the thought now being insular and seeing the diversity of sound and the influence that that sort of community is having? Uh, yeah. Um, so for me, I think a lot of the stuff that I see actually get pushed is obviously drill. Um, but, yeah, as I said previously, this I think a lot of the genres that are really thriving and are never necessarily going to get the coverage they probably deserve right now as drills like kind of taking over and like rightly so because you know Australia arguably apart from like Leroy like the main international um, I guess spotlight was because of the drill scene so but I don't know I think I think there's so much diversity in Australia in general that there's obviously going to be like hundreds of genres and hundreds of different sounds so it's hard to say, but yeah, does that answer the question? On that note, you mentioned Leroy, and like I feel like we're in an incredible crossroads in the moment for Australian hip hop because, you know, a, um, an indigenous kid from Redfern has put two billy on the ball with Justin Bieber and is breaking down doors left, right, and center that is going to mean other talented acts from this country, some who aren't even making music yet, are going to step into the future. Crystal Cartier, what do you think's next? What's next for Australia? Because we've broken down some massive barriers in the last few years. Where do we go from here? Um, it's it's kind of hard to say because so much has already been done. Um, I think back to even when you guys were doing the Apple Music stuff, you know what I mean? Like we've touched some pretty big heights. Um, I think it's just a matter of inspiring the next generation and who's going to be coming up next, who's going to look at Leroy and feel like, oh, I have something to say as well. I have a place in hip hop. Um, I love the Leroy story. I'm so inspired by that. Even anyone who wants to know like what Leroy means, if you Google that, it honours who he is and it honours Australia. Um, so yeah, that's, I just think anyone who um, comes back to their story, your story is your power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Well said. Jared, what's next, bro? Uh, from the music front of things, the thing that I'm excited for and what's next, I reckon, is Australian artists releasing albums and immersing themselves in albums and stories. I think, you know, people, rightly so right now, are pretty um, relentlessly hammering the singles sort of um, approach. Um, 
but once people can realize that they can hold their own, I think that's gone off. Um, once people realize that they can sort of uh, have their own fan base and, and tour and make a living, I think then they can afford to take nine months, 12 months, whatever it is, go back, immerse themselves in an album and hopefully soon and what's next is we're seeing albums like Tyler the Creator or Kendrick-esque coming out of Australia. And I think we're seeing snapshots of that now, uh, like Husky is an example, but I think, I think more are to come. Soju, what, what are you excited about for the future and, and the next? Ah, uh, we're back. You pressed it off. <laughs> what I think is next? Um, well, what I, I guess kind of like a continuation of that is obviously the, the build off of a bigger body of work. I think Leroy has really busted down that door to see that, you know, we not only have like really amazing music and stories to tell, but like we're marketable. I think people need like always forget about that sort of aspect where, you know, like only a couple of years ago, it was like a lot of black artists and Aboriginal artists weren't, you know, really signed to records anywhere or played on the radio because we just weren't seen as marketable that people didn't want to hear our stories or our sounds and having Leroy's story be out there and doing all that stuff will be a part of that. And I think that'll change not only music, but like, I guess the kind of fingerprint that is Australian music, because, you know, I think it's only been the past couple of years that people realize that there's other people of color here, you know, from the home and aways and the neighbors and, you know, all our exports being, you know, the, the blue eye, blonde haired surf looking kind of vibe, even if that is hip hop and rap there's this door opening that it's saying, you know, there's a whole diverse range of people here who, you know, don't have the same living experiences that grow up in different places that, you know, we have somebody like, I'm the worst with names. Ah! Can happen to anyone. Maybe it's not charged. Yeah, maybe it's not charged. That's what I think, because it did like a little flashy thing. But I'm um, like TK Maizo or like Sampa, yeah. you know, they... Yeah. You know, they bring so much of who they are and what their roots are. Yeah, it's, it's a battery. We're just going to have to talk loud. I can do that. Um, you know, bringing... Oh, thanks. Shout out for Quasi. Give a round of applause for Quasi. But yeah, bringing bits and pieces of who you are and widening the scope of what not only music is and what that sound can come out of here, but also the types of artists that can come out of here as well. Yeah, for sure. Matt Slocum, what do you think's next for Australia? In terms of genre or artistry? Where the scene heads. I think that Australia, from my perspective, I think Australia is going to have one more person that's, I don't know what genre it'll be, but... I think Australia just needs one more person that's going to um, just do what Leroy did, but maybe not on the same level. doesn't have to be that big, but just someone that's going to push it over the edge because it's like right there, like tip of the iceberg type thing. And I think once that happens, then the spotlight will like deservedly be here because there's so much uncovered talent that is going to shine once, once that breaks through. Crystal, I'm gonna throw to you. We've spoken a bit about like the boom of what's gone on online in the last few years in terms of now Australian artists are doing incredible streaming numbers. But as someone who works in the live scene, as someone who hosts her own events, Bodega, um, how do you how do you feel the transition has been back to physical activations? Um, has there has there been some challenges to do that post COVID? And do, and do you do you see the influx of what happened online in the last two years transitioning into bums on seats and numbers of doors? 
what the challenges have been live in terms of there's so much success going on in the online space now. How do you think that's transitioned into live, into booking and events? Do you find more interest there for that now? Or? Um, definitely for local artists, 100%. I feel like um, they're on the come up and that people want to show up and – sorry, should people want to show up and support, especially post-COVID, we were um, – the arts industry and the music industry was so down bad. So um, I definitely feel that support is strong coming back and everyone wants to do their part. Yeah. Jared, on that same note, mate, um, are you seeing a transition from the artists that you're working in streaming into then, you know, seeing numbers at live shows? Is there a disparity there or is, is it following through? Uh, it's horses for courses. I mean, and I think that's where live events are important and media is important um, and telling a story is important because if you find success online and you haven't, uh, you know, it's a bit corny, but like built your brand or told your story, um, it's very easy to be a, a one-hit wonder or to not be able to sell tickets. Um, whereas for others who have been putting in years of work and have told their story and when they do blow up, when that day comes, people can go back and see and understand. For them, it's a lot easier to translate into people coming to shows, touring. Um, so, so it is different for everyone, I'd say. Yeah, very much like that. I, I want to I sort of segue from that into the whole concept of like building a brand and building a reputation that you've said. Because one, one of the things I'm stoked to have all you on this panel tonight is you've all built incredible reputations and brands for yourself. And I want to get some sort of advice or insights as to what that journey's been like. Maybe starting with you, Soju, someone who's gone from, you know, DJing to running her own events and in so many different spaces. What are some of those learnings or challenges anyone else who might be in the room looking to get into that space could you be able to pass on? Um, I think one of the main kind of lessons that I learned is, um, you know, especially with social media and everything, we are finally in a position where people have the complete power to look after their own brand. You know, it was before that, you know, it's like record companies or you've got to be working with these certain people and you've got to be this certain way online. I know that when I was working with other people, they'd be very, you know, not pushy, but just be like, maybe you shouldn't be posting these things or maybe you shouldn't be doing that. And it's like... Well, sadly, the person that I am in real life and the artist that I am are actually the same person. They're not completely separate people. You know, this is all I am. It's, you know, Sky and Soju are the same exact person. You know, it's just probably not the best government name to have as a DJ. But, no, I think it's about being, staying true to you. I think not worrying about burnout. I think it's about creating sometimes just for the sake of creating. But I think it's also... And I think that's like been about building up a strong brand is, um, you know, understanding that you're running your own race. I think people are always, you know, I've had other people who have been like, oh, but you've done this, this and this. And how do you keep doing these things? And like, what are the things that you're doing? And it's like, I'm not really doing anything. You know, I've been around for a very long time. I have, I think, moved my way through the scene as somebody who just wants to move with purpose and genuinity. It's about, you know, I don't go over and talk to people just for a laugh or think I'm going to make a connection with somebody in terms of being able to pick up work. It's just I really enjoy connecting with people. I've, over the years, have been able to put myself into spaces where I can create opportunities for other people. So it's been, you know, about being the person that I want people to see me as, you know. If I 
I want to be seen as somebody who's doing the right thing for my community. I don't necessarily need to be blowing up or, you know, playing at every single club or playing all the best festivals, but it's more so when I get to do the things that I actually want to do in a space that I want to be in, it means that I'm doing so with purpose that if I have an opportunity to do something... I feel like I went on a tangent. What, I guess, the the short... I did, hey. The short version, I guess, is... As the, the corny says it, you know, be yourself, but I think finding a purpose with what you want to do is really important. I think everybody, you know, with the kind of rise of TikTok and Instagram and everything, everybody wants to be somebody, but it's kind of thinking about, well, who exactly is that person? Is it taking pictures? Is it just creating content for the sake of content? Or do you want to be seen as somebody who is doing things with a position of you know, coming from artistry or being somebody that wants to be doing certain things with the power that they have and all that sort of stuff. So, I don't know if any of that makes sense. I think that made perfect sense. I thought it was a great answer. And I want to follow on that with something... Yeah, clap. Let's give a clap to Soju. She's G. Um... There's something really cool that you said there, and you mentioned the word community and the importance of community and brand building. Crystal, how important is it to foster a community when you're trying to build a brand? It's really tough to do in isolation. It's it's imperative. Sorry. Um, Yeah, because naturally um, when you're running events and stuff like that, you go through your own set of trials and tribulations where you might lose sight of... um, the mission or the morals at hand that you're trying to communicate. So when I kind of feel a bit lost in the mix, I look back at my circle and the people who remind me of why I'm doing it in the first place. Um, So that's why I think community is really important because you need to have people who believe in you and have your best interests at heart even when you don't necessarily do that for yourself. Yeah, Matt, on that note, someone who's been you know, in, in the ecosystem of a blog and running all that sort of stuff, how important do you sense community is in, in what we do at AU Dollars and in the wider sense of building a, a base within the hip-hop space? No, I think it's, I think it's really important, um, especially as someone that just moved here and I'd never been to the country before, just having like a sort of a hub like, of people that are like-minded and like, are going to push you to do your best and... Like, believe in what you're doing and only give you constructive feedback in their best interest is, like, so important because if you don't have that base, then you don't really have anything, to be honest. Everyone's getting applause. This is good. We're getting up. Um, I'm aware as well that we're going to crowd here, so I do want to throw it open to some Q&As in a second, but I want to ask one sort of final question to the panel, and we might go around from, from left to right, is that if you could click your fingers and change one thing or transform one thing within the Australian hip-hop scene right now, what would it be? Maybe it's a challenge or a gap that you see in the market at the moment. Uh, what would you do, Jared? Uh, a few things, but if it was just one... Name a few if you need to. Oh, no, I'll just go one word. I'd say I'd change... Uh, I'd say I'd change nepotism. I'd say that that, des- that deserves a that round of applause. That was that a was, no, that, that was a mic drop. <laughs> That's the whole thing. Yeah. Um, if I got to change one thing, um, ooh, you can be a few if you need it to be. You can take mine if you want. <laughs> the nepotism one is good. Yeah. Um, 
It's really hard because it's like if you're talking about one thing, there's not one thing that's going to get done. Name a few then. Um, well, there's the nepotism thing. It's um, looking at how women and people of colour are viewed in the system. You know, it's this idea of, you know, like we, we've got like the, all this whole idea about like HP boys and one four in that when it's like my little mini story is that I was playing at a kid's basketball carnival game thing and it was like kids from like 8 to 14 and the kids kept asking for one four because a lot of them were Polynesian mob and all the parents were like yeah 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 and then just seeing all these tiny little kids jump around screaming at the top of their lungs to like HB boys and one four is just like so powerful it might seem from like the outside it might be like mm, they shouldn't be singing to this music whatever but it's like this is the first time that they've seen somebody that looks like them that has lived their lives you know so I think it's about how we perceive people of colour and their experiences and why they are important to be part of the music scene, not villainized or othered in any way. Yeah, yeah I love that. I love that. I'm going to answer this question myself as well. I'm going to get a bit selfish on it. But I, I want to follow on from what you said. And I think it's transforming representation into economic impact. Yep. And I think at the moment now with the, the boom of the hip-hop scene in Australia, we're seeing a lot of new players come in, players that aren't necessarily from the culture, that don't necessarily have the best interests at heart. Maybe they're, in, they're driven by prof, profit mo motive, which is okay, but I want to see that reflected back into the communities. I think the success of this scene is driven by the economic impact we see in Polynesian or First Nations communities or immigrant communities, and we're able to see that wealth and that equity passed down into the hands of people on the ground and on the grassroots. I think it's going to be a bit of a waste and a bit of a sad gentrification if the people that make money off all this are the major labels and the white corporates sitting in offices in Surrey Hills. So that's probably the one thing I would change is to ensure that equity passes down the line and we get to see communities transform because reputation is, representation is awesome, but I think that's the start. No, it's just the start. Um, touching on what Jared said a bit earlier, as a listener of hip-hop, I'd probably change the work rate. Um, I'm kind of sick of hearing singles every now and then. I want, like, full bodies of work that we can dissect and kind of push the culture a bit further. Yeah. That's what I would change. I like that. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm kind of going to echo what everyone said, but I think my main two things as kind of an outsider would be Authenticity. Like, I know there's so much culture and I know there's so much individuality, but it seems like that the majority of it, like I've said before, it doesn't get pushed like it should be, and people want to be something that they're not. I think the best music from Australia that I hear are people that are just unafraid to be themselves and just want to be Australian or want to be wherever they're from. They're not trying to be what they've heard on the radio or what music they listen to on playlists. Yeah, yeah, well said. Yeah, I want to I want to open it up to some of the audience now. I might uh, see if uh, I want to open up this conversation, this discussion, and, and hear the contribution because there's a lot of great minds in the room. And uh, thank you to everyone who's pulled up tonight. Um, any questions? Um, I think there's a few different ways you can in interpret that, but one for me in terms of uh, how truth plays a part in hip hop is that I think it affects uh, longevity. I think you know um, I've seen it happen before where an artist will whether it's of their own volition or of something else, you know, uh, bend to a certain mold. And then by the time they've turned into this new person, a new artist, um, they might get signed, but then the wave's gone and they've got no longevity and they've got no truth behind them. And I think that ultimately affects, affects uh, everything. Um, so I think you can get quick wins 
by not being truthful, but I think in the long run, it will almost never work out. Um, like a following on from that, I think it's gotten, you know, I think that's always been there. Like historically, hip hop has been about truth telling. It's about telling your story, you know, people standing on the street corners, having their own little battles and that. And I think that's what made hip hop so internally special because it's about people in this community wanting to almost not only tell their stories, but to leave a piece of themselves behind. And I think that's gotten a little bit harder considering, you know, marketing these days. Like we, like Crystal said, you know, people's um, attention spans have gotten smaller and smaller. And, you know, you're seeing on TikTok all these artists coming through that they have to make all their stuff get viral before they can even release stuff and they just want to drop music. I think we're a bit luckier here in Australia where we kind of don't have that sort of pressure. But I think because of this... Um, almost this illusion that, you know, you have to be doing stuff right now and it has to be out there and if it doesn't go viral straight away, it's gone. Um, we actually had a couple of weeks ago, we had Ruger in and he was talking about how, you know, he wrote these songs years ago and his manager was like, no, nah, that's not going to be ready. And then it was a couple of years later where it was like, yep, no, okay, it's right now. And I think that's the hardest part is like, you know, it... It can be a di bit disheartening sometimes when you put your truth out there and, you know, you put your soul into your music and your stories and whatever you're trying to put out there and, you know, it might feel like people aren't ready to grab that right now or they're not jumping onto it. So I think it's... I personally think that hip-hop is a huge part. I mean, truth is about... Truth is a huge part about hip-hop, but because... Yeah, but it's just, you know, I guess the kind of climate that we're going through right now makes it much harder because people want things now and they want it to be big. They don't want to kind of have that... I don't know, I think we lost... Not everybody, but I guess people are losing a little bit of the sense of that kind of creative process. You know, sometimes just making stuff for the fun of it or just trying to try new things and seeing if people will buy it. You know, not trying to make hits 24-7 or blow up every second. It's, you know, I think it's art form. Everything's an art form. It's a process. And I think if people understood that a bit more, not that they, they're silly or anything, I think just because we're fed so much of, you know, you have to do all these things. But it's just like, just enjoy the ride because sometimes when, when you get there, it might just be done. Do that big song, that's it. Nobody wants anything to do with you anymore. Just to add to that, I think truth, like... You guys are talking from, you're talking from an artist's perspective. I think truth covers all people on the boards, like whether you're a media consumer or a person in the radio. I think that everyone's got to be themselves. And I think that if you're in the media or even just as a person on the radio or whatever, I think that what you push is like, it goes like, it's so important because, but you don't realize it's important sometimes when you're doing it. And I think that if you're just yourself and you're listening to the authenticity of the music, then that's going to help the culture as a whole. So. Being real, bro, the accent debate died like five, six years ago because we're all kids born on the internet that are influenced from different parts of the world. Um, people that grew up here didn't necessarily listen to Australian hip-hop. Uh, they didn't hear hip-hop coming through their ear in Australian accent, so that's not necessarily how they created the craft. We don't cap singers for singing in an accent, which is quite Australian, so I don't understand why we do it to rappers. So for me, the accent debate is dead. Um, however... 
what I like and following on from the authenticity and the truth thing is like speaking your truth. If it sounds a little bit because you're influenced like that or maybe you come from a diverse background, that's cool. But the most important thing to me is the authenticity. Like I'm tired of hearing phrases that people aren't using in their everyday life in their rap because Central C said it or because Moneybag Yo said it, you know what I mean? Or Travis Scott said it. The amount of submissions we got three, five years ago with everyone saying it's lit and now everyone's running the ball or, you know, stunt on the op block or whatever. It's like if authenticity is important, but for me the accent debate is is largely dead because we're, we're born on the internet we come from all over the world who cares how it sounds just make sure it sounds good yeah mine's like a continuation of it i think you know um i i'm a bit uh with the aussie accent but that's just because i come from dandy and like shout out dandy. shout out dandy you know we got a lot of lads out there so and all my little cousins are all lads so i'm I'm just like, oh, I'm sick of hearing you talking. Um, but no, what, what I like what this question kind of asks is it's, it's looking at we're still in that sort of like tunnel vision of what an Aussie accent is. You know, we, we have so many Aussies that do music that would be Canada's Aussies, you know, but they might come from a Ghanaian background or a Nigerian background or a Sunnis background or they might come from Wellington over in New Zealand. You know, they've, they've got these... Accents. You might be, you know, a black follower from Northern Territory or Anunga and you've got like a completely different thing going on. So it's, I think it's looking at, you know, not necessarily the debate anymore, but realizing that we, uh, we kind of just don't have the Aussie accent anymore because, you know, like Aussie accents here, for an example, could look completely different to Queensland because the way that Queensland people, white or not, they got a completely different accent. So I guess it's kind of just looking at, you know, figuring out what your sound is and making that work for you and building around that rather than trying to form it into, you know, an American accent or into, I don't know, whatever sort of thing. Because it's just like, yeah, we're, 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 we're so much bigger than that. We're not just this little image and this, um, this I guess, stereotype anymore of what Aussie rap or hip-hop is because it's, it, we're bigger than that now. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question for the other mic that wouldn't have picked that up. That was about how artists, particularly Boy Grad there, mentioned that he's Filipino and how uh, artists from the diaspora connect back to, the, to their, uh, uh, their heritage and culture and how that can be a difficult road to find. I'm, I'm personally answer this. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm potentially, yeah, because like, I come from the diaspora background. My, my dad's Sri Lankan, my mom's Italian. And um, as a mixed race kid, that's a whole other sort of thing to, to navigate. But yeah, it's, at the moment, it's, it's about trying to form community, I think it's really important. And my, on my own journey, I can really speak from my own perspective, but I've worked hard to try and uh, connect with other Sri Lankan artists, making R&B, hip hop, whatever in Melbourne and Sydney and connecting that. And we've sort of formed our own little community and touch base. Shout out to the guys from BRB, Luck Shane, there's uh, you know, um, Figaro Jones, some incredible artists doing that around the world from my community. And I think, to be honest, the blueprint is the way the Polynesian community has done it. The way they have unified behind each other, supported each other, and built that up that they almost don't need another market now. They're doing those streaming numbers just from their own community, which is awesome. That's what hip hop's about. So I think it's about artists trying to come together on that. And then there's a responsibility on institutions. There's a, yeah, no. Nah. There's a responsibility on institutions to try and promote representation to do that. That's one thing that we do at AE Dollars, absolutely, is try and promote different communities and different cultures and showcase that so that a young Filipino kid can see a boy graduate and be inspired by that and then try and build towards that. We're seeing that through 
you know, communities from the African communities um, to First Nations communities to South Asian communities. And I think that's what's really important is trying to, to form bonds. But absolutely, there's a responsibility on the part of media and institutions to showcase representation accurately. Um, absolutely a continuation of that. Uh, you know, uh, you guys have almost been like a, a, um, a pioneer in that, you know, that idea of representation, you know, because if, if you don't know where to look, how, how do you know where you're going to find these people? And I think that's a really hard part. So I think that's you kind of the beauty with social media these days is that, you know, we can form online bonds and meet up with people, but it's just like how do we do that? So I, I think it's just more so just putting it out there, put out feelers, you know, saying that I am, you know, a proud Filipino guy and I want to connect up with more people. Usually if you, I don't know, like I've had, you know, where I'd be like, you know, I, I wish I knew more like black followers that were DJing. And I found them. We, we have like a giant group now. There's like 30, 40 of them in there, which I, when I first started DJing, I didn't know anybody else that was DJing. I didn't even know that was a thing. So that was very new to me. But it is a huge responsibility because it's like if we are only seeing on MTV or on Triple J that this is what the climate looks like of what this music scene is, you're going to assume that these are the only artists that are making music. These are the only ones that are seen as being marketable or seen as being, you know, the people that want to listen to when, you know, that is only a tiny minuscule of what's going on here. That's what, you know, these mostly white organisations see is going to work for their audience. Whereas, you know, like you said, the Polynesian community build up, the, have they built up their own audience? They have their own communities. And just because, you know, they might not get that radio slot time and they might not get that giant tour doesn't mean that they don't have these giant um, communities that are there to support them. So I think hand in hand, I think it's artists wanting to reach out more and be like, I want to connect up with these people. I'm going to go find them online. I'm going to put feelers out. But it's definitely, it should be, I think, a big priority that these um, bigger establishments are working on. I don't like the word diversi diversity, diversify, because I feel like that's very, um, very, not just corporate, but it's very, um, I feel like it, all it means is just, you know, popping a couple of coloured faces in stuff, you know. When we talk about diverse, diversifying an organisation, it means just like maybe a couple of staff workers but it's like we need people in the higher up positions we need people who you know who work in these places that can make real and doubtable change to be the ones who are not only people of color or women to be like okay we want more of these people because well, how are we going to represent a hip-hop scene when we're a client you know we're a, we're a staff work of white people we are not representing the community that we want to provide to so I think it goes hand in hand. Artists, definitely go look out for it and go find them because there's so many people out there that are doing stuff. But people watching this, if you work in an establishment that does music production or an industry or whatever, you should be really working towards um, building up a more integral community of people of colour, people of different backgrounds, religions, different ages, different genders, all that sort of stuff. Probably got time for one more question on this panel. I, I might just throw to anyone who hasn't asked one yet. Anyone? And if there is no one? Yeah, yep. Um, 
Yeah, so that, that question was, um, why has it taken so long or why do the arts get the, the raw end of the deal in Australia and often the money goes to sport in other areas rather than the arts? Anyone want to touch on that? I wish I had the answer, to be honest, um, but it's just so evident, isn't it? And it's just so blatant. Um, we obviously saw it uh, right in front of our, our eyes during COVID, especially. Um, why they do it, who knows? They, pro it's, they probably, yeah, it's money, it's money. And they probably think in the short term, because I feel like if they had long-term vision, uh, they would do it. Um, but as to actually why, apart from it obviously being about money, who knows? Uh, but it's they've made it so evident um, that it's it's sad. <laughs> I, th I think there's a few elements to it, and um, to be honest, I think one of them is like, well, the the, the fact is the Australian music industry contributes more to the economy than the AFL does. Mm -hmm but look at the funding disparity, look at the media coverage, like it's totally different. And I think there's this, it's one to do with who makes the decisions. Let's look at who makes the decisions in this country. It's older, boomer generation, white males, heterosexual, conservative, they largely make the decisions in this country. So maybe youth entertainment and culture is not a priority for them. So I think that's one thing. And so how do we change that? We change it at the ballot box. Um, second of all, I think, we all know as, as creators in this room that Australia has the tall poppy syndrome horribly. Yeah, we love to cut people down. For some reason, I think that's tied to people that do things not with their hands. Because if you're a footballer or you're a, you're, you're a trader or something, we try to support those people. But if you're a creative, you're doing something out of the box, everyone in this room would agree, you get cut down at every single opportunity. I don't understand why there's this sort of um, antithesis towards creativity, anyone who does something different or uses their mind in this country, maybe it goes hand in hand with those that are in power and make power decisions, not being savvy to that or not being privy to that. But I think the two are intertwined somehow. I'm not exactly sure how to fix it. I think fixing it is doing what we're doing and showing that change is possible. Um, I think it's a long-term generational change. Um, but I do think there's something around that tall poppy syndrome that's ingrained in Australian society that maybe if you're seen to be elite or seen to be a bit above someone else or doing something different, we like to cut that down. I like to encourage people to be the fullness of themselves, whatever that looks like, however that looks like, because I think a society that flourishes is one where everyone performs to their best of their ability. In what and uh, just on to that, I think another reason could be because uh, music does, to an extent, as, as Matt was saying, uh, flourish here, and it's by people in the industry doing it themselves. So that So there's, I guess, a factor where the government could look at that and say, well, they'll just do it anyway, you know? Whereas with sport, they go, oh, we'll put all this infrastructure behind it. But the music people, uh, they'll figure it out. They'll get it done. Uh, so that could be another reason. No, there's definitely, I, you know, we're looking at the colonial construct of this country. Yes, I turned it into one of these talks. <laughs> no, we're looking at, you know, what this country was built on. You know, you're talking about people doing trade work and how, you know, we lift these people higher up. It's because that's where this pride comes from in this country you know it's it's you know um we built everything with our own hands we are you know a happy get lucky the we're the battlers we're you know from convicts we you know we're farmers we do all this sort of stuff and this government inherently supports all those things that uphold that that includes things like football and sport and that because these are the things that are i guess ingrained as australian I guess, like, that's our DNA, apparently, you know, and you got to remember as well, you know, if you were looking at our government, a lot of these people have history of 
being in this government. You know, it's families upon families upon families who've been through these places. I, there's this movie with, I can't remember, it was Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle. It's called Black President when he was running for president, if anybody's seen it or not. But he had this really amazing line and it's like, how, it's going to make sense. But it's like, how can you help the poor if you've never been poor? So, you know, if we're looking at this in a music industry, how can we have these people support us in the music industry when these people don't come from a history or a background of being a part of these communities? You know, we, we look at these people who are inherently mostly white males. They come from farmers. They come from um, people who look after cows. I don't know what they're called. They come from people who build things, who've you know, coveted land and all that sort of stuff, they're going to support that because that's all they know. They, for the large part, they don't come from... Shut up, April. <laughs> they, they don't come from backgrounds, you know, where you've had to come from struggling parents who, you know, came here with absolutely nothing in their pockets, didn't even speak the language and have had to, you know, hold on to pieces of their culture, raise families, build careers, build families, build homes... They don't have that. They don't have that integral connection to it. So it's exactly like you said, if we want these things to change, obviously it's still doing what we're doing, making sure that we're being visible, making sure that we're uplifting each other and putting, you know, showing up to our shows, putting in that money, putting in that time. But it's also about, you know, we've got to start, um, we've got to start coming to our government and saying these are the things that are important to us. You know, um, everybody go look up um, Trigger Mike. Killer Mike, I'm thinking of his show, Kill, uh, Trigger Warning. Killer Mike does some really amazing talks about this. It's about, you know, um, wanting from your government, not just saying, okay, we want, the, we want the less of two evils. We need to start demanding exactly what we want from these people and say, okay, if we, you want our vote and you want us to put you in to these seats, then these are A, B, C and D what we want from you. And if you give us these things, these is how you're going to get our community's yeah. vote. So... I love that we turned it that. into that. I love that we got political in the end because, uh, as we said, this panel's called State of the Culture and we're here to discuss the intersection between music and culture and, and this, this banner that we call hip-hop yeah, and how it affects communities. And uh, I think that's an awesome place to leave it. We've got another panel that's going to be running after this. I want to thank our panelists, Matt Slocum, Crystal Cartier, Soju Gang and Jared Vanders. Thank you. Have a round of applause for our panelists. <laughs> I want to thank everyone who's coming here tonight. I want to thank the Throwback Lounge, Westside Apparel, AU Dollars, Butter, everyone who's contributed to this tonight. I think this is a cool discussion, but this is the starting point. I want to encourage everyone to have these conversations, continue them going, because that's how we create change. Uh, thank you to everyone watching at home, and we've got another panel coming up shortly, so we'll have a quick recess and, and dip into another one. Thank you for your time.